and that's so amazing uh, that you can go with the power of the sun, power of nature, and the same power can be used to cook spaghetti and to cool down a beer. Greetings, Earthlings, and welcome back to your podcast, the show where we seek to explore the world around us without leaving a trace. On today's show, we're starting a series on the energy transition within the marine transport sector. We'll explore how vessels of all sizes, from large commercial ships and ferries to personal yachts and powerboats, are upgrading to zero emission options. While most of the marine industry is still trying to figure out how to switch to electric propulsion, today's guest is a pioneer in the field. His efforts to build solar-powered yachts goes all the way back to 2009. That's right, people. He was clean tech before clean tech was cool. But before we get there, I'm your host, Lisa Ann Pinkerton. I'm the founder of Technica Communications and the founder of Women in Clean Tech and Sustainability. And I have a question for you that I'd like you to answer for yourself. A little bit of a flow diagram experience. Have you listened to more than five of our episodes? If yes, then ask yourself, have I left Earthlings 2.0 a review yet? If the answer is no, please take a moment to leave us a few stars. These reviews help the algorithm to notice us and bring more listeners to the show. So you're not only giving us feedback, but you're helping other people find us. And if you have left us a review, please ask yourself if you think the information on the show is worth $5 a month. Is it more valuable to you than a specialty coffee, of which I know you have bought more than one this month? If the answer is yes, we invite you to become a member of our Patreon and help support all of the talented people who help me with this show every week. And we will give you a shout out on the show and we will send you a t-shirt. So please join our community and support the show the way we support you. And thank you to Resource Labs for having us on their network. Now, for those of you who know me, you know I'm an avid boater. I grew up sailing with my dad on the lakes of Michigan, and in the past few years, my family has chartered motor yachts for various vacations, and we're learning to become captains of the open seas. We have spent a lot of time in the San Juan Islands. Now, I'm not going to go into all the reasons why we prefer motor yachts over sailboats, but I will tell you one thing I do not prefer, the fuel bill. Our last charter to the British Virgin Islands was an amazing week. It was beautiful. We went to, I think, seven different islands in a week. It was very, very rewarding and it was a good vacation. But what was not so rewarding was the whopping $986 that we paid to fill up the diesel tank before returning to the marina. That is just one example of how expensive boating can be. So that pain at the pump is why I think you're going to start seeing yachts transitioning to all electric rather swiftly. And there are several products on the market already. And today we are honored to have the pioneer of zero emission yachting, Michael Kohler, on the show. He's the CEO of Silent Yachts. He and his wife, Heike, have traveled the oceans on conventional motorboats and sailboats 
for 40 years. And around the turn of the 21st century, they came to the conclusion that there had to be a better way to power these yachts. And that eureka moment occurred because Michael happened to be looking at his sailboat from a completely different perspective. The key moment was actually on the island of Mayro in the Caribbean, part of St. Vincent and the Grenadines, a bit north of Grenada, a bit south of Martinique and St. Lucia. I was up on the mast exchanging a bulb, the anchor light, which was broken. And I saw the mainsail in the lacy bag with a zip. The zip was closed. Everything blue, nice, protected, closed and dry. The same with the jib was enrolled and also protected with a, with a blue cover against the UV of the sun. Not working. Because protected and out of use for the moment. Because we are at anchor. At anchor, you, you do not use your sails. So we had a lot of equipment on the boat that was not in use for weeks, actually. Because when you're there, you, you go for a few miles on just around the corner, next bay and stay there for another week. And on the stern of the boat, we had uh, solar panels and a wind generator also. The wind generator was working day and night, wonderful, but noisy. And the solar panel produces power every day. No matter if I'm standing in a marina, at anchor, if I'm sailing, even if the weather is not so fine, they're always producing power. And in the end, uh, we really, we really had to admit, would we be better by using solar panels and electric motors or the sail. We did it for more than a year. Actually, the result was clear after a few weeks, but we did it for quite some time, really a long list. Every day we make, made a note, okay, today definitely wind is the winner. With a sail, we would be much faster, or we are, because at that time it was a sailing boat still, uh, we are much faster than we would be with uh, electric propulsion and solar panels. But that's the thing. In most of the cases, solar panels in combination with electric motors give you way more power than the sail, because the sail can only be used to move the boat, but the sun is usually coming from above, and if you have your panels not like that, but like that, then you have perfect conditions and you can not only propel your boat, but most of all, you can cool down your beer and cook spaghetti. Can you explain to us how your silent yachts are designed to harness the power of the sun? How do they work? Very simple. The full roof is covered with solar panels. So when the sun is shining, they produce energy. They is being stored in batteries. That means we have a huge battery bank on the boats, depending on the type and model. We have about 300, 350 kilowatt hours right now on each boat and powerful electric motors. The energy is being used to supply the drivetrain, the electric motors, but also, also any kind of other electrical equipment like the household appliances. Fridge, freezer, air conditioning, oven, cooked up, everything, and also the tenders. That means we have a dinghy on board or a jet ski, electric jet ski, of course. And this can be powered by the sun from our batteries with a normal charging system, like you know it maybe from your electric car. So 350 kilowatt hours, is that what I heard you say? 
Yes. And that's the, the typical capacity of the solar array or the capacity of the battery bank? That's the capacity of the uh, battery bank in kilowatt hours. And the solar panels produce per day about, on our smallest model, about 100 kilowatt hours per day. On the biggest model, uh, about three times the solar array than on the smallest model. And they are obviously then much quicker, but also the battery is much bigger. How far could the middle-sized yacht that you have, I think that's a 64-foot yacht, is that correct? 62, 80 foot, and 120 feet. Let's start with the stick, 62 foot. About how far could that uh, yacht travel on solar power alone? About 100 miles per day, because during the night we use the power from the batteries. And during the daytime, we must not use too much because while the sun is shining, we supply the drivetrain and recharge the batteries. So by doing it that way, we run very, very efficiently and it's about up to 100 hours per day in good conditions without running a generator. Okay. So we can do 200 uh, miles per day or more, but then for some time, the generator is running. Mm -hmm. And the generator is charging up the batteries. It's not uh, providing energy for the propulsion system. Correct. So it's not connected to the prop directly. It's connected to the batteries. Batteries will be recharged and then supply the electric motors. Let's talk through a scenario. You're traveling during the day. The sun is shining. So you're able to generate power. And maybe you started off the day with a full battery bank. How fast or slow would you have to go, you think, to travel and recharge the batteries at the same time? Would you be able to do that? Yes, but then the speed is below four knots or not not more than four knots. Yeah, If we need to drive or cruise and recharge at the same time. And I think we are the only boat in the world that can do that, drive and recharge at the same time at such a speed. When I say boat, I mean comparable boat. Yeah, We are not talking about racing boats. We are talking about liveaboard boats uh, with all amenities. There's a big difference. Typical use case that someone is driving day and night. Uh, there are only very few people that cross the Atlantic five times a year. The typical sailor uh, is, is going from one bay to the next, is cruising for two, three, four hours, and that's it. And they, they want to go for swimming or they stop by in a, in a nice small village or in a marina, uh, go for shopping, go out again. And that's actually the typical use case of a boat. It's not to drive uh, 100, 200 uh, miles per day every day. So our boats can do it, but in fact, we designed them because, of course, the power coming from the sun is limited. It's, it's not unlimited. I can see how the vast majority of the use cases would be these short hops, a day relaxing and recharge the batteries and then move again, perhaps. But you did mention that you could take this across the ocean. And I know that you have taken one of your yachts across the Atlantic and you only used a few liters of fuel. So can you please tell us that story? Yeah, very simple. A client of us and uh, and he and his, his captain uh, and the guest um, made this transatlantic cruise. They had fairly bad weather in really, really bad weather conditions. They used quite some fuel because there was no sun at all. For example, from Canary Islands to Cabo Verde. 
But then from Cabo Verde to the Caribbean, the transatlantic crossing, they used very little fuel because the weather was okay. It was favorable. They used very little fuel. Actually, in fact, they could have made it without any generator hours. The boat can do it, uh, but then it would have taken a couple of days more. Yeah, absolutely. So how does that work when you're traveling across the Atlantic? Were they underway for 24 hours at a time? Yeah, actually, there are no uh, McDonald's drive-in on the way. Uh, so you have no other choice. You go. If you stop, you can stop, of course, but it doesn't make any sense. You simply go day and night. Sometimes people reduce the speed during the night uh, on a sailing boat, especially they do that. And on a solar boat, it does not really make sense. So you go with a, a constant speed day and night. We, we haven't actually talked about the kite feature on the yacht. And I'm not sure if they use that feature on the, the transatlantic crossing. But tell us a bit about how the kite supports the yacht in propulsion to support the solar and the batteries. So the kite was not available at that time. It was already 2018 uh, during winter time, by the way. So not the best, the best time for a solar boat. We have the kite available since I think one and a half years now, and it works pretty well. You should not say how much more speed can I gain. This is not the goal. The goal is how much energy can I save. So our typical cruising speed is six, seven, eight knots. If we are cruising for a longer period of time, it's rather six. If it's short term, it can be eight or 10, 12, 15, yeah, 18. If you own a solar boat or silent yacht, then within very short period of time, you will understand that on route being cruising with such a boat is already holiday. So you don't need to hurry up to get there for the holiday to start because there are no noisy engines running and no vibrations, no fumes, no uh, no oil film on the water while cruising. The boat is also not, not healing like this. It's simply straight, smooth sailing. You can cook while cruising. You can do everything while cruising. And so the people, after some time on our boat, uh, they do not care about the speed. You hardly feel a difference between uh, eight knots or six knots or five knots. So sometimes they say, do we need to be there at 11? Let's slow down. We're not in a hurry. Yeah? That's the point. The mindset changes immediately because it's simply not as annoying as it can be on a motorboat. Because on a motorboat, it's, it can be cold. If you drive with 20 knots, 25 knots, even if it's, if it's hot weather during summer, 25 knots is cold after half an hour. For that reason, your mindset changes immediately when you are cruising on such a boat because there is no noise at all, nothing. Yeah, you only hear a little bit the, the splash of the water, uh, but that's it, not more. And that's why the people rather extend their cruise because the cruise is so nice. I like that you said that because some people, yeah, people think, oh, how fast can I go? Right? How quick can I get where I need to go? And it's not about that. And and frankly, faster speeds are uncomfortable for the passengers. Yes. Right? Yeah. You can get seasick at a faster speed that you might not at a slower speed. At least that's what I've experienced myself. 
and you can hardly walk on the boat if the boat is is going fast so if if it's going with six knots seven eight whatever yeah it does not matter at all it's it's just when do i want to be there and that's why i'm i'm so proud of what we developed because it it combines the advantages of a sailing boat and the comfort of a of a motorboat and that's so amazing uh, that you can go with the power of the sun power of nature and the same power can be used to cook spaghetti and to cool down a beer <laughs> well also sailboats are i mean they're just like the the living spaces is smaller it's a little bit more awkward um, catamarans are really perfect for living aboard in my opinion let's talk about uh, how your customers are using these yachts who is the typical customer for these vessels very frequently any kind of technical background people that love green energy that have an electric car uh, since years usually early adopters usually people that are proud saying i was the first one in my district or even we have one who was the first one in his country uh, to get the tesla delivered we have we have a client that has eight tesla in his homes uh, all around the world that's the typical customer yeah so more than 50% of our clients never owned a boat before that's very interesting they are not really close to sailing uh, and but definitely they never would have bought a motorboat because of fuel and many other things but when they found out that there is an alternative they said this is my boat and it makes sense right because there's you know what is that there there's there's all kinds of maintenance that often is required uh for for boats especially if they have a big engine Sometimes you have an engine and a wing engine. There's a lot to keep up with. And I could see how all of the advantages of a solar yacht, in addition to a lower maintenance program, would be very attractive to people who have never owned a boat before. We virtually eliminated those components uh, that caused trouble in the past 20 or 30 years before we started because i've spent a lot of time on my own boats in total it was 16 years net within 40 years in 40 years 16 years net during this time most of the time i was living on sailing boats obviously until i found out that this is this cannot be the best solution yeah, a sailing boat is, a, is is okay it's a good solution but it it is not matching the needs uh, of modern people, of people that are accustomed to a certain amount of comfort. The people had a had a higher demand for comfort, for luxury. Uh, this was simply not common 40 years ago. I remember my first, I don't know how many cars I had without aircon. Today, nobody can imagine driving a car without an aircon. The same at home, the same on the boat. So people are accustomed to a certain amount of, of comfort and they want it at home and they want it on the boat as well and for that reason we started to develop something that can uh, deliver this kind of comfort but without running a generator because a generator is delivering energy but is also pretty noisy and expensive if you calculate that a generator is running 24 7 and this must be the case if you want to run the aircon on a conventionally powered boat then we are talking about one or two gallons per hour 
not too big boat, 60, 70, 80 feet. And we are between one and two gallons per hour. And that by 24, then we are at, depending on 25, 30, 35 gallons per day. In the US, it's somewhat uh, kind of affordable, yeah? But if you cruise in Europe, uh, where the gallon is about eight euro, nine dollars, and that sums up pretty quickly and uh, also the noise. So we eliminated it simply and we, we don't need it. If we run the generator two, three hours per week, that's already a lot. Well, and then you think about if you're if you're someone who wants to travel the world, the quality of, of diesel is not the same all around the world. You have to clean your fuel. I remember reading a story of someone who planned ahead and ordered fuel and had it shipped to certain ports so that he knew the quality of the fuel that he was using in his vessel. And I remember thinking, like, it seems so complicated. There's got to be a better way. Yeah, there is. Speaking of, of comfortability, what does the interior design of these silent yachts look like? What can people expect when they walk into the, the vessel? A lot of space. Um, our, our salon has about, on the smallest boat, has about 40 square meters, which is, I think, a bit more than 400 square feet. And also the cabins are pretty spacious for a boat of that size, of course. And we insulate our boats uh, thermally. We try to reduce the consumption of for aircon or heating, depending on where you're using your boat, also to avoid direct sun into the boat. The boat is very bright inside. We have big windows, big. So we want to look outside. We don't want to look at the sky. We want to look at the sea. And uh, that's the way how we built and design our boats. Also in the salon, we have huge windows, really huge. Other brands do to inclined windows that uh, make... A boat look fast. We don't need to look fast. That's not the purpose of the boat. The purpose is to enjoy the boat, enjoy the space, enjoy the comfort, and and live on the boat. This is what the people love to do on our boats, and especially enjoy the comfort of big fridges, freezers, aircon, and all the stuff without running a generator. It doesn't sound like you're compromising much on your living experience uh, on one of your yachts at all. We don't need to. Sometimes when people think about sustainable living, they think that they're going to have to give up something. And what I love about what, what you all have done here is that you're, you're gaining more by being on a solar-powered yacht. Whatever you do, it's always, always somehow connected to a trade-off, yeah? Always. On a sailing boat, it's the same. If you start the, jet, the, the diesel, uh, you can drive faster, but if you want to use your sails, then you have to suffer, yeah? With a diesel-powered boat, with a motorboat, you also have some trade-offs everywhere. You sit in the in the fumes if you're sitting in the in the aft cockpit. If you're driving slowly, you get all these turbulences and and you have all the the blue smoke all around you. Also a trade-off. Our boats have some trade-offs, but I think I'm I'm absolutely convinced because I I'm cruising with our boats since since long time now, as you can imagine, since 2009. We have way less trade-offs than any other boat because we can go faster we can go slow we do not need to run a diesel motor and we have all comfort all the time and you don't have an engine room either so i'm wondering did you completely design your own halls or are you 
just reusing existing catamaran hulls, but you're using the engine room space differently? How does that work? It doesn't work with a, a standard catamaran. And this is probably the reason why we are still the only one building really self-sufficient boats. But uh, we designed the boats starting with a white sheet of paper because it is not smart to use an existing sailing or motorboat hull and deck and especially superstructure and to fix some solar panels somewhere. And as you do not have enough space on the roof, because it has never been designed for that, you put the panels on the sides vertically. You can do, yeah, you can make even a nice advertisement with that uh, by saying you have a lot of kilowatt peak on your boat. Uh, but in the end, uh, you do not produce with kilowatt peak. You produce with the angle and the efficiency of the panels, the angle to the sun and the efficiency. So what counts for the user is not the kilowatt peak. It is the kilowatt hours that can be used to recharge the batteries or to use it on the boat for the propulsion and for the household appliances. So the big difference is um, we are not a world champion in kilowatt peak on the roof. There are others that claim to have more, but we are definitely by far world champion in produced amount of power per day. Actually, that brings up a good question. We know that the sea isn't always friendly to metal and other types of elements. But how do you protect the solar panels from corrosion? We do not need to protect it. The aluminum they use for the, for the production of these solar panels is saltwater resistant. The rest as well, because on the top side there is glass and on the bottom side there is a, a plastic foil that protects the cells. So they do not get in contact with salt spray at all. And the connections, the, the plugs are IP68, which means it can be permanently submerged and still would work. So it's a really safe technology. So we, we use it since so many years already and we, we had no problems at all. There is a huge difference, by the way. Those panels that are flexible, that can be integrated into the hull or into the deck, which we did until a few years ago, those panels have a way shorter lifespan because they are simply designed in a different way. So they won't last forever and nobody will give you 25 years on these panels, not even five years. Actually, panels like you would use on your house that have a glass surface, and these panels not only produce way more power than the others, uh, but they have a much longer lifespan. So our panels are guaranteed to last for 25 years, 80% of the peak power. And this is what the client needs because nobody wants to repair his panels after five years. Oh, speaking of the types of equipment that you're using, what type of battery chemistry are you utilizing in these yachts? We used to use for many, many years the um, NMC, Nickel Mangan Cobalt. This is very good technology, safe technology, high power. In the meantime, ferrum oxide, the LFPs are as good as the others and they are even safer. So they no risk of a fire on these batteries and they deliver in the meantime the same power. That means the same power per kilogram. So for that reason, we use those in the meantime. What happens if something goes wrong with the system? I understand that for electric vehicles, sometimes you can get it on with customer service and they can do like a software update or they can look into 
the back end of the software for your vehicle you know, remotely. How do you support your customers in terms of troubleshooting a problem that they might be incurring? Exactly the same. Remotely, we can enter the system remotely. All our boats, absolutely all that we delivered in the last year, actually, have Starlink system on board. That means they have two dishes on top of the, of the roof and it works. They are simply online day and night. Uh, and if there is any problem, then we can log into the system. We have a look what it is, can restart the system, put a new software on it. Uh, if there is a bug, we can repair it. So it does not happen that often. It happens in the beginning when we install a new brand new system. It can happen that we have a few times in the first couple of weeks, but usually in the first couple of weeks, we have the boat ourselves. So we make our tests. And during this time, our people are remotely in the boat. They sit somewhere in Germany, for example, and are online in the boat and take care that all the settings are at the right values. And if necessary, they make some corrections until everything is fine. And they uh, say, okay, boat is commissioned. We can deliver it to the client. Silent Yachts, you're the pioneer of, of solar-powered yachting. There's a couple of other companies out there doing slightly similar, slightly different things. But that's still only a fraction of the whole industry. What have you noticed about the yachting and boating industry in general in terms of their appetite for what we're terming the energy transition, moving away from fossil-fueled or internal combustion engines to basically electric powertrains? I think it's obvious that there is a transition now uh, from fuel-based um, propulsion systems in cars to electric, at least hybrid. It's, it's clear. It, it cannot be stopped anymore. Diesel and, and gas motors will maybe not really disappear, but they will have a much smaller portion of the market than the electric ones in the future. It's, that's for sure. And believe me, people that get to their boat with their electric car and step out from the electric car and go on their power boat will not accept anymore in the future that they are forced to start to huge diesel engines and be, be full of, full of this smoke in the, in the cockpit. They simply won't like it anymore. I see it with myself since I'm driving an electric car. The fumes uh, disturb me way more than they ever did before. Because before, when you're driving a, a fuel-based car, you simply accept it. it. It's as it is. Yeah, there is some fuel. Yeah, of course, uh, exhausts. Once you drive uh, an electric car for a couple of months, probably is sufficient. You don't want that anymore. Like people that stop smoking, yeah? Uh, they are the most militant non-smokers from then on. And, uh, <laughs> and I think it's the same, the same with uh, electric cars and electric boats. The people will want more and more electric boats. And also the governments are in our favor because they reduce the fuel-based boats or conventionally powered boats on the lakes, especially on the lakes and in restricted areas. Especially in Austria, we have a lot of beautiful lakes, but on very, very few, you can drive with a normal motorboat and only very few people are allowed to do so. All the others are forced to have electric boats. So, and this, this will continue. This will continue. So what's your, what's your vision for 
the uh, recreational uh, maritime industry, the yachting world, I should say. Uh, so five to 10 years out, what's your prediction in terms of what we could expect to see out there in the world? I think you we will see uh, way more competition, definitely. There will be more brands coming up uh, doing it, not all to the same extent. Some will, will have, uh, like with the cars, uh, some will have mild hybrid. That means small battery, solar array, few solar panels, uh, electric motors, but a generator that has to be used every day for two, three, four hours. And there will be some that are... Uh, probably close to us. I hope we will stay alone with our efficiency that we see it really as a challenge not to start a generator at all. Uh, this is our challenge, not only to reduce the engine hours, not to start it at all. I think there will be many brands on the market in 10 years, but with a different approach. Some will be already happy to reduce and some will try to really get rid of the fuel. What do you think about the hydrogen solution as an option on powering some of these recreational vessels with hydrogen versus solar? I think hydrogen is very nice if you're using your boat uh, close to hydrogen refueling stations. I do not know any of them. I've never seen one. I have heard there should be one or two in France. And there are a couple of stations in Germany, but unfortunately on the streets only, not for boats. And in Holland, I think there is also one or two. So uh, if you want to refill your boat, good luck. That means if you're living on a lake where you, you happen to have any kind of facility that offers you some hydrogen, and you love to live and to spend your holiday on a bomb, then it's for sure a good solution. Otherwise, I do not think that it's the best way to do it, honestly. For various reasons, hydrogen on the boat, it's dangerous. It's definitely dangerous. Way more dangerous than a battery. The space required and the weight that it, it adds to the total weight of the boat is more than what a battery would uh, add, especially if you have a combination uh, of not only uh, using hydrogen, but also producing hydrogen, because only to use it does not make any sense at all, unless you get really green hydrogen. Where are you going to get this? So from my perspective, there is no need for hydrogen because it's an incredibly complex and complicated system. But in the end, what stays is a lot of space, a lot of energy wasted, 60% is wasted and lost, um, a lot of money, uh, a lot of complexity. If one of these parts does not work anymore, and this is very likely to happen in a, in a hostile environment, like on a boat with all the salt, and then, yeah, you can produce it yourself. But you can do the same with a battery and it's almost 100% that you put into the in the battery and you get out the same amount so why don't use a battery and for less money anybody who has had an ev and i've had one you have one it's like as soon as you don't have to go to fill up every couple of weeks you never want to go again something switches in your brain you're like why would i go somewhere to get my energy when i can just create it with the sun 
or plug it in to the grid if it's an electric vehicle, that the the hydrogen feels like extra steps. Most of the people don't understand uh, the complexity of the system. I would love to hear the origin story of how did you come to the moment where you're like, you know what, we're just going to build solar power yachts. Like we're just going to change the world this way. In the beginning, in the in the early 80s, I had my first boats. And it was only 15 years later when I started to redesign electrical systems and energy systems on boats. So 15 years, I, I struggled with the existing systems and understood this is not what we need nowadays. That's not what we are looking out for. From that moment on, it took uh, more than 10 years until I built my very first electrically powered, fully autonomous boat in 2009. And from 2009 until now, uh, it's another 15 years that, that it took uh, to, to get where we are today. So it's, it, was, it was a process. It was not, not one moment. We talked about who your customers were and the typical customer type was a techie, someone who's maybe an early adopter. How many of these yachts have you sold or do you have on order? What do you expect the volume to be in the next few years? So we have sold in total, in total more than 50 boats. Uh, we have delivered 23 so far and all the rest is, is currently on order. Uh, I'm working right now on 15 boats and we have all the others on the waiting list and they will be started soon. I get a sense that these yachts are, are built, like how many can you build at one time? 15, is that the capacity of your facility? So we have a big, huge shed for the, the plastic works, uh, GRP, glass reinforced plastic. And we have another very big shed for the assembly of the plastic parts, as well as of the, uh, all the technical equipment and the furniture. And we are usually working on, on four to six boats at a time in the assembly shed. But at the same time, of course, in the, in the production of the GRP parts, uh, we are working on yeah, minimum the same amount. The electric tender that you launched recently. Tell us a little bit about that and how that works with the yachts that you've developed. Yeah, we we thought it might be might be good to offer a tender as well that matches the design of the yacht as well. So far, all our clients ordered one, which is good. But we are, would be happy to sell it also to people that uh, do not yet uh, use a silent yacht. So the tenders are pretty fast. Um, we have uh, different models of drivetrains. Usually, we install a forty kilowatt jet motor. Most of them are four meters long. Pretty lightweight. Uh, we work with carbon prepreg. It's the most expensive, but the lightest material you can get. And by doing it that way, we really save a lot of weight, which makes our boat uh, pretty fast and quite unique in handling. So we, I'm, I'm very proud of the boat. We do not use floats on the sides. We have rubber foam, thick foam panels on the sides to protect the boat. And this makes the boat not only lighter, uh, but we have more space inside, which is pretty unique. On the aft bench, you sit very comfortably, three people. And I want to make sure we're clear. Are the electric tenders also able to generate their own power with solar panels or are they charged? Are you charging your tender from the, the yacht? 
Yes, we charge them from the yard. Uh, we considered installing some panels on the site because, as I said before, it, it doesn't really make sense on the site. It's more for visual reasons. Also with the roof, with some solar panels, I think it's on a tender, it does not make sense. We have the big boat all, always next to us, uh, so we can simply plug it in. It's a type 2 uh, plug, like all the electric cars have it. So it's a very common system. We can plug it in in any marina if they have power. Uh, we can plug it in on our boat. Uh, it was, will be recharged while standing on the aft platform or while floating next to the boat. So there is no need to have a panel on the boat. I like that you have this op option because it seems like it could be a simple entry into electric boating that people may not have experienced before. And once they have that, they're like, what do I have this big diesel powered boat for? I, I need an electric one. This is silly. You know, once you start to go down the electric road, you start to recognize how silly the uh, conventional uh, systems are. Actually, a lot of people, I'm surprised, I'm su really surprised to see how many people already changed to electric outboard motors uh, for their tender, small one, one kilowatt, two kilowatts, four kilowatts. So I think in, let's say for, for tenders, uh, this, the message arrived already. The people understood it makes sense. It's a technology that is reliable. It works uh, if you choose the right brand. Uh, not every brand is the same. But uh, they, uh, it simply works, and you never again will will try to start your motor. <laughs> so this is this is history. Now, uh, with an electric motor, you just switch it on and you use it. Uh, very very convenient. Very convenient. Earthlings, thank you for joining me as I geeked out with Michael about these silent yachts. We'll add some links in the show notes for you where you can go watch several videos and look at the photos of these beautiful vessels. We'll even share a link to that short video about the transatlantic crossing that we talked about. In fact, it's notable as the first production solar-powered yacht to do that crossing. Michael mentioned that that first week they had bad weather, and so they used the generator, but they only used 1,300 liters of diesel, which is roughly 343 gallons, which is pretty good if you consider they traveled 5,500 nautical miles and had an average speed of six knots. Our faith in humanity is restored this week by Paolo Fanciulli. He's the Italian fisherman who is credited with creating the Atlantis of Tuscany. And it all started because he went to war with illegal trawling. Beginning in 2002, he, the Tuscan government, and the World Wildlife Fund Italia deployed a strategic formation of 162 underwater cement bollards to completely ruin the expensive deep-sea trawling nets that were used by these illegal fishing outfits. Trawling nets are, are weighted, and the boats drag them along the seabed to pull up everything, and they keep the fish and they toss everything else. So beyond destroying the habitat, this activity completely decimates the marine food web, which is something he, as a fisherman, depended on. But Paulo didn't stop there. Recently, he helped drop 39 large marble sculptures down to the bottom of the sea. And he moved from bollards to sculptures because he understood that strong actions alone aren't enough 
to save our seas? He said he understood that the real challenge begins with people's awareness. So he has got this nonprofit now that has been founded out of his efforts, and it's been installing sculptures from around the world by renowned artists, the first 100 of which were carved from marble that was donated from the same quarry that provided Michelangelo with the material for his masterpieces. Leave it to the Italians to use the transformative power of art to bring the world's attention to illegal fishing and stop it on this beautiful blue-green space flower that we call home. Hey listeners, this show is a part of the Resource Labs Network. It's a curated collective of industry leaders who are accelerating the clean energy transition. If you want to find out more, visit us at resourcelabs.co.